episode of Overinvested, a new podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is Morgan. Hello. Each week we'll be discussing something we're completely overinvested in at the moment, which this week is Batman v Superman. Uh, before we go any further, I'm just going to give a quick spoiler warning. Um, we are obviously going to talk about what happened in the movie, but we're going to try and keep it relatively spoiler free until the end, and then we'll give you a proper warning so you can switch off. Okay, so I thought we'd kind of begin with, Morgan, why are we so overinvested in this movie, which has had terrible reviews and we both kind of thought was awful? Yes, uh, we definitely did not like this movie per se, but found it pretty interesting, and we've been anticipating it for quite some time. Uh, I think Ben Affleck was announced uh, as Batman around three years ago, right after his film Argo won the Academy Award for Best Picture. This is pretty bizarre casting. Um, and even down to the title when that was announced, Batman v Superman, uh, colon, Dawn of Justice, which having now seen the movie again, I'm not totally sure I fully grasp it. I mean, the Justice League is what it's referring to, but it's pretty nonsensical. Um, but, you know, even just the marketing materials seem pretty absurd. Uh, and having seen it, there's just so much going on that's pretty incoherent. And I think that as people who are generally invested in superhero movies and fascinated by the genre and the movie industry, we were looking forward to dissecting it. And we certainly have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to be like an hour of us making fun of a movie we hate, because I kind of feel like even though it's fun for people to write reviews that are really hilariously negative, uh, like we both like superhero movies. Like I personally have a lot of interest in Batman and Superman and how they're depicted on screen. So while I do think this film was very bad in a lot of ways, I found it sort of mesmerizing. Yeah, <laughs> and, me too. You know, we both we both also were really interested in uh, the way it was promoted. So like even from... The first announcement, like coincidentally, Morgan was actually in the big hall, Hall H at Santiago Comic-Con when Ben Affleck came on stage to like announce this monstrosity, I think. No, the movie had already been announced, but Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot, if that's how her name is pronounced, and Henry Cavill all came out and they showed around 20 seconds of footage from it when, um, when Batman and Superman first kind of come into conflict with each other in their, you know, garb and uh we just laughed at it it was so absurd and the actors came out and ben affleck in particular looked like he knew he had made a great mistake in his life the the look on his face is something i will never forget he he looked pretty grim and uh from that point on i knew i had to see this film <laughs> even though dc comics are not something i'm particularly uh invested in i'm i rapidly became invested and last week actually saw man of steel which i had not seen at the time uh because the reviews were so bad and i was pretty fascinated by that too because that film i think is just really incompetent on basically every level the story doesn't really make any sense um and even as someone who doesn't know a huge amount about the sort of mythos of superman everyone said this at the time too he's presented very much as a kind of almost amoral character he kills a lot of people the destruction of metropolis got a lot of attention you know it's it's a really violent movie and um Henry Cavill is not an incredibly compelling performer. So <laughs> to put it mildly, this is a problem in this film too. So going into this movie, the question kind of was, 
how is how are they going to deal with the problems that arose in that film and then also introduce this new version of Batman after coming off of Christopher Nolan's really successful Batman trilogy? The, the fact they were going to revamp or, you know, restart Batman was announced very soon after The Dark Knight Rises came out. It really was this question of, like, how is this going to work? Why did they cast Ben Affleck? And what is Henry Cavill going to be like in round two? And I think we agree that it didn't really work that Yeah, like, way. I feel like Ben Affleck was really doing his best. Like, he was taking it very seriously. And that was sort of the problem. Because the film yes. itself, like, it took itself so seriously that it didn't realize... I mean, it didn't realize how bad it was, basically. Because you yes. have Zack Snyder, who makes this type of film that is inherently very ridiculous and also aesthetically kind of unpleasant to look at and listen to. But he thinks that he's... Or he wants to be making something that's kind of on the level of Christopher Nolan, who actually is a serious filmmaker, like, for all yes. his faults and, you know... There's something that I just don't fundamentally get about how Zack Snyder, like... Obviously, it's whole aesthetic we don't understand, but, like, how he can, like, look at that and be like, this is so much better. Like, what I'm doing is just so much better than, like, not Nolan specifically, but just, like, an anything. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like, kind of what makes me interested about Zack Snyder's personal image about himself as an artist. Because to be at that level, like, obviously, you're kind of aware of criticism and, like, you're aware that people maybe don't think very highly of you as an artist, kind of like Michael Bay. But, like, Michael Bay very much just seems to be, like, a jackass. You know, oh, he's yeah. just like steamrollers forth, and he's like, I'm going to make a movie which even he probably thinks his films are garbage at this point. Like he's he's not making movies like Armageddon anymore. He's making films that are just like they're like a he lot of money spent on CGI. Oh like, yeah, that was like his that was his art film. Like yeah, but yeah, with like Zack Snyder, he has like a very specific aesthetic that's even more easy to recognize than Michael Bay. You know, he has like he's like really like egregious color correction, very obvious visible computer generated visual effects not in the way that other blockbusters use them that look realistic. Like, he creates a colour scheme that looks, like, unpleasant, basically, <laughs> and, yeah. like, doesn't look real. And, like, the way that his films are shot, it's not good action filmmaking, it's not easy to follow, but, like, he really sticks to his guns. Like, he always follows through on that. Like, his, he makes film after film that are in that style. You know, when he's making 300 or Watchmen, he's following the style of the comic he's adapting from, but, like, it's still within, like, his general range. And I think that really comes from 90s comic aesthetic, where there's this like specific type of art, which now is one of those things where like an art style from 15 years ago looks more dated than an art style from 50 years ago, because like it feels yeah. embarrassing. And that particular like mid-90s art style, where it's like they've got this glowing fade-out colour shading on every colour, and like it's sort of lurid... And, like, you've got these extremely over-muscular characters that have, like, ten more muscles and all over their body than they should be. And that's, like, that's what he does, like, as a film. And he, like, makes his actors work out to the point where they look like these characters from 90s comics that aren't humans. When Cavill walks into the Senate hearing, I was like, you're a blow-up doll. <laughs> like, when he's... Because when he's, like, flying around, you kind of, like... You know, he's also been CGI'd in those scenes, right? And he kind of is, like, doing action stuff, and he still looks ridiculous. When he was walking in, like, with his arms crossed, I like, he looked fake. And we're used to now these male bodies that are fake. I mean, they're all on drugs. Like, they, and they, they look ridiculous. But it was a new level of just, like, what the fuck? Like, what are you... I really enjoyed that because of the kind of comparison between that and the 
latter Batman movies of the 90s, which have now been like massively criticized and mocked because the the main the most obvious one is the one with George Clooney and the and Chris Thingy playing Robin, yes. where they look like action figures and it's also like really not sexualized, but like you know they have like they have cod pieces. There's like nipples in the back suit. They're very luridly colored. You know it's referred to as like toyetic, like it's there to sell action figures and it's mildly homoerotic. And for like decades. The whole genre has been trying so hard to get away from that aesthetic. The thing that kickstarted superhero movies after that was Blade, and Blade was just like the opposite. Like it was a guy in like a Kevlar vest. And then you kind of get up to now, where Zack Snyder's making this film that he clearly takes very seriously, like Ben Affleck takes seriously. This like Superman outfit, you've got this poor man who's like had to work out like every day for the past five years and is probably living on lean chicken and broccoli. So his body naturally now looks unnatural to like a stupendous and unnecessary degree. And then they put him in this costume that just makes him look fake again because like it's got airbrushing on it. You know, there's glossy parts that stand out. Like it's the equivalent of contouring makeup like Kim Kardashian yes. wears, but like for his whole body. And it looks so shiny and silly. It compares really closely to those really silly action figure 90s movies and i don't understand why more people are not picking up on that well also then in comparison to like the bat suit thing (laughs) which is just like armor upon armor upon armor but with abs carved onto the outside like like i just love the image of ben affleck's batman who is also astonishingly like you he's like he looks great but um, he's made armor for himself that has abs on the outside because he's a hilarious parody. Um, and then like the armor suit, which is like so hardcore and it's like, look, no one will ever touch me in my like three inch thick armor. And then he leaves his jaw open and it's like, as soon as Batman punches him in the face, he would just lose all of his teeth. This film should end grittily with Ben Affleck losing all of his teeth. Dentures. 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 Bat dentures. <laughs> oh my God. It's just... Um, However, (laughs) however, that being said, before we start being too mean to any actors, I think we should kind of look at what we enjoyed in this movie, which is kind of what I was expecting to enjoy in some ways. Like, I I mean, obviously I was expecting certain parts of it to be unintentionally hilarious, which they were. And um, there were a few moments where I was kind of choking down laughter out of respect for, like, the genuine Superman fans in the audience. Um, But, like, Wonder Woman looked interesting in the trailers, and I think we both quite enjoyed her, um, compared to the rest of the film anyway. And Lex Luthor, Jesse Eisenberg, I absolutely, authentically, genuinely enjoyed on every level. I liked his outfit, I liked his dumb facial tics, I liked his voice. (laughs) His storyline didn't make sense, but that didn't matter to me at all. Um, So, yeah, yeah, what what did you actually like about this, Morgan? Because I think you hated this film a lot more than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely hated all of this movie with the exception of those two things. Um, I thought Gal Gadot was fine. Um, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman. I didn't think they gave her a lot to do. I hope that Wonder Woman's feature film is good and that she's good in it. I didn't think the fact that she wasn't given a lot to do or the fact that her performance wasn't incredible was in any way her fault. It's just that, you know, the she didn't have that much to do, but what she did was good and it was fun. I mean, that actually and... um, kind of reminds me of something that Zack Snyder said shortly before the film came out, which is during his press tour, one <laughs> thing that he said about Wonder Woman is that her main role is just to show up and look cool. And at the time, I was sort of like, that just sounds really dodgy. Like, it doesn't sound like you've put a great deal of thought into her character and it sounds a bit like she's a token. And while she is, like, slightly tokenistic, I think, 
That is literally what she does and it actually makes her look significantly better than either of the main two characters. Because while Batman and Superman are wading through this quagmire of messy, controversial moral statements and inexplicable rage, Wonder Woman does actually just show up and look cool. And she seems competent in what she's doing, even though she doesn't really have any particular emotional arc or like noticeable personality traits. She's really interesting and fun. You know, she's got like a heist subplot and then she shows up and does some action sequences and all her outfits are good, which for a cameo role is probably better than like most characters in that movie. Yeah, this is really the sort of uh, benefit of everything else being terrible is that she, you look at her and you're like, oh yeah, she seemed pretty good. <laughs> like she, she really benefits, I think, from the rest of the the film not working so well. Um, but I, I really enjoyed Eisenberg. He is an actor I like in pretty much everything. I know that some people just find him annoying almost all the time, but I don't. And I thought that he clearly had just decided that he was going to enjoy himself and make the most of what he had been given. I don't even really remember any of his dialogue. I think most of it didn't make sense and was bad, but that didn't matter. He delivered it in such a way that was compelling and made me not care what he was saying. And that was really all that I needed. He had real panache. Kind of after watching the film, I realized that he reminds me so strongly of Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending, (laughs) who just has this ridiculously over-the-top scenery-chewing role from like a respected actor. But that's kind of what you want in like a cheesy superhero movie villain is you want someone who really knows what they're doing but like just overdoes it tremendously and I think that Eisenberg is definitely going to be very polarizing like some people do find him very annoying and also he does use like a lot of the same mannerisms in each of his roles so you know if you've seen him playing Mark Zuckerberg probably you're going to be like there's shades of that in this role they've clearly rewritten Lex Luthor to be this kind of tech um, bro genius type um, which is fine yeah but it works but, yeah um, it works there's one sequence where he's entering uh alien environment um with some really dramatic music that's actually shot in a way that works that i think is really fun that's the literally the single moment <laughs> in the movie that cinematically i was like yeah this me is too working. actually that was also yeah. the part there was like maybe two scenes and that was one of them where i was like this actually looks like a film that i could enjoy and actually I would also say that about the intro sequence, which I'm fairly sure you found laughable. But um, yes, just just for it. just for viewers who haven't seen the movie, I'm not. This is not a major spoiler. I'm just going to describe the intro sequence, which is the classic death of Batman's parents, which is painfully overdone, does not need to be filmed again, and was clearly just kind of Zack Snyder very much wants to retell his favorite story, which I understand it as a fan, and I will forgive. However, they end this memory dream sequence with the young Bruce being flown aloft by a flock of bats and then as he flies up into the sky being you know heralded by his angelic chorus of bats his glowing red-eyed bats and then his his body kind of makes the outline of the bat symbol and that's the introduction and i was just like this is very cheesy and it's very silly but like i did feel like that swell of emotion as someone who enjoys batman i was like this is kind of the balance between overly serious gothic nonsense and symbolism which is what i want from batman and tim burton does that really well in late 80s early 90s batman movies that he made and that was kind of the end of that for this film like right after that they immediately threw that in the dirt and stamped on it because you get this scene where they introduce jimmy olsen and immediately reveal that not only is Jimmy Olsen a CIA plant, but he then immediately gets shot in the head at point blank range, which is not something that should be happening in a superhero movie, a Superman movie rather. 
and it's really not something that should be happening in a PG-13 movie <laughs> in the way it was shot. So um, it's it's really the thing that I'm really interested in this film is to what extent the filmmakers were purposefully trying to like subvert and even destroy the mythos of Batman and Superman, or whether they genuinely just thought they were making like a relatively authentic version of the characters and just trying to make it more mature. Because that's what Zack Snyder seems to be saying in most of his interviews and like the general promotion for the film is this is an adult serious interpretation of kind of a 90s era Superman and Batman. But watching it, the overall message of the film just seems to be these two characters are really evil and we should feel really uncomfortable about idolizing them. Yeah, why don't we move on to talking about Batman and Superman themselves? I think that the main area where we diverge a little bit on this movie is that I didn't really see any of that depth (laughs) in this film at all. I think I was searching for depth. I was painstakingly digging in the dirt, desperate (laughs) to find depth in this film. (laughs) Whereas I was just watching it thinking to myself, this is terrible and inept. Um, And of course you can make the argument that Snyder's intentions are irrelevant. The author is dead. What matters is what is on the screen and what you're experiencing. But I actually think that when you're watching a film like this, which is so incoherent, um, I mean, there are various plot things that I won't get into because the details aren't really important, but that just don't make sense. And you can kind of tell that they've cut things or like characters know who each other are and they haven't explained how, or they know certain things that are happening and you don't know how they know them. And either the script was just totally inept or something has been cut um, that explained that. And the movie's two and a half hours long. There's a cut that's going to be coming out uh, on DVD that's going to be R-rated and it's going to be three hours long. Like Clearly there was just so much happening behind the scenes in the post-production process of this movie um, that I think it's very difficult to not think about what was going on in the authorship of the film because it's so sort of difficult to follow. Um, then you do sort of think like, okay, what is happening here? What are they trying to convey to me? And even if you do step back from that, I just didn't find anything in the text of the movie that was hinting at saying you should be critiquing these people. These people are actually not worth rooting for. And that's especially um, reflected in the later parts of the film, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast. Um, I think you are supposed to find these people admirable which is hilarious because they're so awful. They are just terrible. I mean, the thing the thing you say about the film not critiquing its main characters is like it just it really makes me want to it makes me want to interview Zack Snyder. It also makes me want to interview the two uh, screenwriters because the original version of this script was by David Goyer, who's written many many comic book movies, including Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and he also wrote Man of Steel. And then his script was then taken by a writer named Chris Terrio, who rewrote it, who um, previously wrote Argo. And I would love to know what happened there, because they clearly did start off with this kind of ideological dispute between Batman and Superman, which if you've seen the movie or the trailers, you know what it is. You know, Batman is this violent vigilante and Superman, he has this public image as this savior icon. And it's very, there's lots of kind of Jesus imagery and they're making it very clear that people are worshipping him in the streets and so on. And Bruce Wayne objects to this concept. But in the actual 
execution of the film, both characters just come off as villains. Like I saw a tweet that kind of perfectly encapsulated this uh, idea from uh, a Twitter friend of mine named Sunil Patel. And he said, this is a Superman film as filmed by Lex Luthor, which is... (laughs) It's honestly like Lex Luthor's paranoid propaganda of making Superman as like alien and unpleasant as possible. Batman is a psychopath who goes around murdering people. And like also, I think Lex Luthor would cast Jesse Eisenberg as himself. Like, oh, so yeah. Fit. yeah, absolutely. And around the first half of the movie, thereabouts, until he sort of starts doing some really bad things, and then also until his plotline just totally falls apart nonsensically. Lex Luthor really seems like the most sensible person in this movie. Like, he says some things about the about Superman that you're kind of like, yeah, it seems it seems reasonable. Like, you're clearly nuts, but that's fine. Like, and they're so... You just can't... It's so difficult to root for them, both because psychologically they don't really make sense, but also because they keep doing things that don't endear them to the audience, right? So at the end of Man of Steel, Superman unnecessarily destroys Metropolis and then murders General Zod, also quite unnecessarily. And then throughout the first part of Batman v Superman is saving people, kind of, but similarly doesn't seem that concerned with the destruction of human life. Like the qualities we associate with Superman, sort of like virtue... It's just not really there. And then Batman really is just a psychopath in this movie. I mean, he is so violent. He seems to enjoy it. And so when you're watching it, it's very difficult to say, like, yeah, I really identify with that character. Even if you're not going quite that far, like, I really see where that character is coming from and I'm rooting for him. They're both, they both seem quite alien. Just, it's so hard to imagine from the filmmaking perspective, what the intention was, but I can't really fathom that there was any depth to it. I think that they genuinely thought that this was going to be logical and compelling, and I don't think what they produced was at all. I mean, Snyder compared this with, he kind of said it was like a follow-up to the version of Watchmen that he made. The whole point of that movie is to be very critical of superheroes and like, you know, the heroes in that mostly don't have powers. They're just people who put on costumes and beat people up at night, um, which is obviously what Batman is. But yeah, like you have to think about what people are trying to get out of a film like this. Do they have a duty to make Batman and Superman seem heroic? Or are they just being kind of interesting and experimental if they genuinely did try to point out that Batman and Superman are both horrible characters if you view them in a certain light? Because, like, if you take the film at absolute face value, it does seem like a parable where it's like, don't trust these incredibly powerful, like, white guys who just come along and kill everyone who's your enemy and then you become reliant on them. But first of all, is that intentional? And secondly, I guess, should they be allowed to make that story about Superman or Batman or should they be making a film about stand-ins? Should Zack Snyder just have made his Apollo and Midnighter movie or made this film which small children are then going to go to expecting to see like a certain I guess like a certain brand of storytelling and instead being given like Jimmy Olsen shot in the head and Ben Affleck doing a ludicrous workout routine where he lifts car tires you know shirtless (laughs) in the basement like a very normal man oh that moment was just I I couldn't believe what I was seeing when he started hitting a sledgehammer that is what I wanted from this film you just like just go to the gym 
Just go to the gym like a normal person. Is, I, I felt that was kind of what I was expecting most of the film to be like. And it kind of was in a way. Just this completely preposterously overblown view of masculinity where like instead of you're a billionaire who can like afford to build this ludicrous bat cave and all your gadgets, you can afford a gym, but instead of having a gym, you're like, I'm so tough and hardcore that I'm going to do these exercises that involve hitting car tires with a mallet and like dragging a car tire along the floor. <laughs> and you live with like your elderly butler who's played by Jeremy Irons. Who is like a very intriguing piece of casting for this because in literally everything else he plays like an evil wizard or a pervert. And I was like, please bring some of that to this role. Sadly, he did not. Uh, no. Strangely yeah. enough, I, I've seen Jeremy Irons in so many things and never have I found myself thinking more of Scarf from The Lion King than in <laughs> the movie. Like, every time he spoke, that was what I saw. And like, I haven't seen that movie in so many years. And I, I know, like, I've seen Jeremy Irons in tons of things and that was what was evoked. And I just thought, What's going on? Why have they done this? Just, just fascinating. So many things that Snyder has done is just a fascinating, fascinating move. Um, but uh, I think we also wanted to discuss the general strategy that DC has had with this expanded universe and talk about that a little bit in comparison to the Marvel expanded universe, which is obviously what they are trying to achieve. Um, I think one of the major problems that I had with this movie and one of the major reasons that it really doesn't work is that they combine these set of characters, you know, primarily Batman and Superman, but also Wonder Woman in this film that doesn't really feel like they belong together. So the three Batman movies we've had recently were Christopher Nolan's films, which are extremely grounded in reality. And one of the criticisms of those movies, whether you agree with it or not, is that he basically wanted to make uh, superhero movies without making superhero movies or comic book movies without making comic book movies, right? So if you go back to the Burton films, which I haven't seen, but I'm, I'm familiar with their general aesthetic, right? Like he went about as far from that as it's possible to go, which is fine, but that's what we've become used to when we think of Batman in the sort of contemporary sense. Superman certainly is, you know, presented in Man of Steel, and that was the first film Superman we've had in a very long time has some sort of supernatural elements. He can do a lot of things. Um, he, has, he has superpowers, right? He's sort of supernatural. It's very different. This movie sort of jams them together without any precursing context and then also has Wonder Woman in there, who's a character we're all familiar with, but again, hasn't been seen on screen in quite some time. There's no real context for her. And to me, it felt really jarring because it felt like Superman was being brought down to... Batman's level in a way in terms of like the grittiness of what we think of as a Batman movie and that Batman was being stuck into this movie with all this sort of weird supernatural stuff. There's no reason that that couldn't work, but because they hadn't done the sort of precursor films in the way that Marvel did before the Avengers, I didn't sort of get any sense of context or have any investment in these characters being in a movie together. Um, and there was also some Justice League stuff, which we can talk about that just didn't make any sense into an average viewer would have been really nonsensical. So 
I wonder if the strategy there, and this movie is making a ton of money by the time this podcast um, is put up, we'll know the, the gross, but it's looking like it's going to make almost $200 million. So clearly, financially, this works. People know these characters. But I mean, on an artistic oh, it's level... It's definitely just... kind of thanks to branding. Like, it's people recognize yes. the Batman and Superman brand name. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not discounting the fact that, like, I know a lot of people have enjoyed this movie. You know, it, it's a bad blockbuster, but there's, like, a lot of badly made blockbusters that are very successful because if you just want to watch two good looking people smash stuff for two and a half hours then it's like this movie's had a lot of money put into it you will see that happen efficiently even if the plot doesn't necessarily make sense and it's kind of an emotional mess but like what you were saying about the tone of the film like the weird combination of having like this very gritty violent batman and then superman in it i think that really speaks to Zack snyder's filmmaking style because he definitely cannot do any like mixture of tones like the whole film is basically one mood there's anger there's kind of misery <laughs> and then occasionally it'll like go up a peak of a fight scene but there isn't really any levity and i don't mean that in the sense that the film should have humor in it i think you can definitely make like, a great action movie and a great thriller without any humor at all but like there's no change of pace and i think you really need that when you've got a film where you have two such different characters if you're going to have like a magical space guy and like a bat dude punching for two and a half hours you need to like you know there was this really there's this one really great scene it's the first scene where batman himself is introduced he's like saving some people from human traffickers but like when he's introduced it's this nosferatu like figure who's very menacing and gothic and i was like i can actually kind of get behind this like if you have a film where Batman does really exploit that vampiric thing. It will work in the context of Superman as this glowing godlike alien. But instead, they keep bringing Batman down to Earth and trying to do this this kind of Christopher Nolan, he's just like a normal, sad, middle-aged millionaire thing. And then you've got like Henry Cavill being an astonishingly unconvincing Clark Kent. He doesn't seem like a person. And I know that like it seems ridiculous to say he's, he doesn't seem like a human because maybe they are aiming for him to seem like more like an alien, but that kind of lack of tonal change is a serious problem. And that really ties into the kind of Justice League aspect because if they're going to make a Justice League film with such a bizarre collection of characters, it's going to have to be so different. You've got the Flash, who like is relatively lighthearted, even though they're clearly going to make him grittier. Um, then you've got like Wonder Woman, who's this sort of epic historical character like Thor, You've got Cyborg, who at this point is kind of an entity in the public consciousness, but you're going to have like this mutated, mutilated half robot guy running around. And then Jason Momoa with like a giant fork coming out of the sea. <laughs> like, he can communicate with whales. Like, how are you going to put all of this stuff in the same world and have them all cooperate and have it be a film that just feels, it's kind of like the emotional and visual equivalent of like very slowly dragging like a huge piece of concrete over another piece of concrete. It's just like, grrr, but forever. <laughs> well, and this is the thing that I keep thinking about with Marvel and we're big fans of Marvel, but I think that their system has a lot of kind of objectionable aspects. And I think that they've made some movies that are really not good, including uh, Age of Ultron last year. And the problem with Age of Ultron, which I've said a couple of times, is that there's no reason for it to exist. The only reason for it to exist is to make money, and it made a lot of money, although it made less money than The Avengers did, I think because The Avengers is a considerably better movie. The, the, they just stick characters together in Age of Ultron because they need to make this film. There's no story reason in the context of the films they've put together. But they really have put in 
this time. And you have to sort of wonder, okay, at this point with these movies in Hollywood is the only objective to make money. And of course, Zack Snyder is not walking around thinking I'm making garbage films just to make money. Like, I'm sure he thinks he's making good art and is trying to do that. I'm not trying to, you know, suggest that he's just a complete hack, but the business plan for DC clearly is aimed at that, right? I mean, it comes from a place of panic. Like, they're very worried. Every studio is doing that, not not just with superhero films. You know, anything that's vaguely action or fantasy-based. Like, they want to make a franchise, and they want there to be multiple strands, and then that causes audience to come and, like, you know, get together for the big team-ups like Avengers. But I really do think that with this film, it it would have been possible to introduce all those characters and not have it be so utterly ham-handed. People are open to it. Like, the people who are buying tickets for Batman v Superman are already basically invested in the concept of the Justice League. Like, you can just... If you could just have, like, one minute of Aquaman and Cyborg and The Flash doing something... Like, even they just have to show up on screen looking kind of beautiful and epic and impressive, and then you have, like, a swell of emotionally engaging music, and maybe one of them has a quip. Like, that's really going to be enough. Like, you can get people invested with that little... They really... They just drop the ball completely. Not only did the introduction of those characters seem incredibly unnecessary in this film? Apart from Wonder Woman, obviously, who did have a role. But, like, the way they introduce these little cameos is just, like, it just feels like something. It's, like, subpar superhero TV. They're just, like, they're, like, screensavers or something. And also, most people seeing this film, if it's selling $200 million worth of tickets in the first weekend, most people watching this film have no idea who those people are. Or why they're in this film. Oh yeah, there's, like, there's a fantastic moment with the Flash, which we're going we're gonna to talk about after the spoiler cut towards the end, but like, it's genuinely just, it's impenetrable. Like, it's completely impenetrable to anyone who is not very familiar with DC Comics canon. And even so, you could easily just be watching the film and just have your eyes roll back in your head. I mean, I managed to figure out that it was the Flash. But after, <laughs> because I wrecked, because I know who Ezra Miller is and he's the actor playing him but I was kind of just like what is happening it's a weird dream sequence it was a real and and it's because they have to get it in for this future film but it feels so awkward it's such a sort of like marketing thing and it just makes you kind of feel like you're in watching something that is a chapter in something else as opposed to a film in its own right, which is what it is. I mean, that's what you're watching, but it definitely detracts from the experience. Kind of regarding the Marvel versus DC comparisons that we've been looking for, there's been like a very interesting aspect of that on the internet, which I'm sure like a lot of our listeners will be aware of by now, which is the debate over reviews and whether like critics are somehow being unnecessarily cruel to this movie which i i personally find really interesting because i'm i'm both a critic like i write about this type of movie for a living and also i'm fan so i'm kind of like i'm on both sides of this and i think it's an extremely stupid idea (laughs) it's a combination of people who think that critics are haters and they're they're just getting some (laughs) kind of joy out of panning a film that everyone else just thinks is fun and also that's combined with the kind of DC Marvel rivalry, which is like swollen to this bizarre state of partisanship where fans of the DC movie franchise or some fans are kind of treating this like there's some kind of conspiracy where Marvel and Disney have paid off critics um, 
to give this film bad reviews and also that anyone who doesn't like this film must like Marvel films and just doesn't understand how sophisticated and adult and gritty this film is, which is very strange in the context of Daredevil and Jessica Jones made by Disney and Marvel Studios and Netflix, because both of those are extremely dark. Like they actually contain more adult material than Batman v Superman. And obviously they're beloved by many comic book fans most of whom read stuff from both publishers because they're just publishers. Like they exist to sell comics to anyone they can. So it's not like, it's not even like supporting a sports team. Well, it's this kind of um, personal affiliation with a corporation, right? Which is a very contemporary thing and doesn't make any sense because the corporation is not doing anything for you except producing stuff that you like, which is good. I mean, we need these people to make stuff that we like but there are massive corporations that exist to make money um and then also the idea that anyone who doesn't like anything that you like or agree with your opinions is bad and somehow false which we're seeing play out in a variety of (laughs) Yeah, I have spheres right now. Oh yeah, no. With this particular movie, like I'm really, I'm quite fascinated by like the combination of people who are saying you're only giving this film a good review because you hate fun and you don't like blockbuster movies, and people who are saying you don't like you. The only reason you don't like this movie is because it's not Guardians of the Galaxy and it's dark and gritty and serious. And it's like you can't, you can't have both. Like the thing is that sometimes a movie that's making a lot of money is going to get bad reviews because it's not very good and critics don't like it very much. And that is not, I mean, it shouldn't alter anyone's personal experience. Like if you're a fan of Superman and Batman and you think this is a good portrayal and you enjoyed the experience and you find it entertaining, then who cares what someone Rotten Tomatoes says? Like everyone is running home to the bank at Warner Brothers either way. Well, also critics, and I love critics, don't (laughs) usually have that big of an influence on major movies box office like that's just factually true and i think most critics are aware that that is true so the fact that this debate rages on is i mean it's just dumb until a couple of days ago i really thought that the whole marvel disney payoff conspiracy theory was very much one of these things that like was held by maybe a hundred people on twitter but then when my review got published on friday like a good two thirds of the comments were people making reference to like Disney payoffs and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And Wouldn't it be like, great if you had been paid off by I Disney? I mean, yeah, like it'd like, be fantastic. You know, I'm just has... riding my personalized Batmobile down the street. Catholic. <laughs> like, I, I feel like we've spent too much time on this already, but like, it's a very interesting and also completely stupid concept. <laughs> Uh, so why don't we move into the end of the movie? So at this point, if you haven't seen it and you're planning on doing so, you should turn us off um, because we're going to get into spoiler territory. Okay. And uh, I think, well, before we kind of go to the actual ending, which is our two favorite gentlemen wrestling a giant turd, uh, <laughs> I'd just like to kind of talk about the Flash thing because oh yes, this is something that I, I personally, like maybe it was just because by this time it was like two in the morning, but I did find this quite confusing while I was watching it. It's the scene, um, it's one of Batman's many dream sequences. Um, and this is the one where you can, you know, he wakes up and then he sees someone like bursting forth from his computer screens and they say something about Lois, which at this point, it doesn't make any sense in context. Bruce Wayne has not come into contact with Lois. He doesn't know who Lois is. And also it doesn't get picked up later in the film. 
Now, this character is the Flash, and my best guess as someone who has now looked at some DC Comics canon about this is that he is using something which Morgan is called the Cosmic Treadmill. (laughs) Of course. Yes, the Cosmic Treadmill, uh, which is the time travel machine, which as a man whose job is running very fast, he uses to time travel. And he is coming from the future to warn past Bruce Wayne in a dream somehow, I guess about something to do with Lois, which will happen in the next movie. Now, this is my personal theory. That's my guess, my best guess. Um, I may be wrong. Maybe, you know, we'll get some listener mail from people correcting us, which I would be happy to hear because that scene was very confusing. Um, (laughs) But anyway, the ending. Time to discuss the turd battle. Yeah, so there are a few things to talk about with the ending, some of which are purely plot related. And then the other thing we haven't yet discussed, which has to do with some stuff that happens at the end is the violence in the movie, which is one of the things that I find most interesting about what's going on here. And that actually made me the most angry as I was sitting in the film. Uh, Most of the movie, I kind of just sat there and was like, this is really bad. What is going on? I'm kind of interested by this. And then something happens near the end of the movie where I actually just got really mad And this is when Batman and Superman finally kind of have a fight as Batman and Superman. And what's happened is that Lex Luthor has kidnapped uh, Clark Kent's mother and says (laughs) that he has to go kill Batman or else he'll kill his mother. I don't actually... Why does he want him to kill Batman? I don't even... He wants to he wants to prove that Superman is... He wants Superman to basically prove that he's publicly evil. So anyway, he goes to Batman and his pitch is like, we have to stop um, stop Lex Luthor together. Batman, meanwhile, has been, you know, carrying out this plot to kill Superman using a kryptonite weapon. And why exactly he wants to kill Superman is never exactly clear. His motivation is that he's angry about the destruction of Metropolis and about his some, you know, pain his employees suffered at the destruction of Metropolis. But the specific like level of hatred and ire he has never really totally makes sense in the film. It sort of connects back to his general psychopathy. Like it's just way too much. So Superman shows up, he tries to reason with him. It doesn't work. And Batman sort of sprays him with this kryptonite gas that weakens him. And he proceeds for like minutes on end to basically torture him i mean it's unbelievable the fact that this movie got a pg-13 rating and not an r rating based on this one sequence alone is astonishing that's the, like that's like, actually something i talked about a bit in my review which is that it really feels like something that got a pg-13 rating on a technicality like there's certain rules that the mpaa uses to um give things ratings it's stuff like you know when you're watching like a battle yeah well you, yeah blood like if you're blood. watching a battle scene in lord of the rings or narnia like there's not a great deal of blood spatter and that's what makes it like a pg or a pg-13 in yeah. this like you have characters that are if it was a cartoon it would be all right but you're having kind of people who are experiencing pain and the people who are deploying that pain on them are basically they're enjoying themselves so it's not like a case of Batman being like, this is the last resort. This is hurting me like morally and I feel weird about it, but I'm going to have to finally like strangle the Joker to death or something. It's Batman who's like going, like you said, this like protracted sequence where he's, you know, he's using all the skills he's got in his workout routine, which really makes it seem very kind of pre-planned. Like the scene that drags Superman across the road. Like it's, you know, he's been fantasizing about the ways in which he's going to like elongate this process of killing Superman. And there's no 
background for why he'd hate him so much. It's just compounded by the fact that this could be resolved like really easily by like if they just had like a little diplomatic conversation. Right. And I mean, and there's in this scene, he smashes a porcelain sink over his head. And Superman is not a character in this film who I felt invested in. I found him also quite unlikable. And I am not someone who gets particularly squeamish at violence in movies as long as it's deployed for a reason. And I was sitting there just like really viscerally disgusted. It was just awful. And I kind of thought it I was reminding me how I felt at the end of Man of Steel, which was just like, this is really ethically gross. Like, why... Why is this here? What is the function of this? And I wound up thinking a lot about Nolan's Batman movies, which have a lot of kind of weird ideological problems. They're quite conservative, but the deployment of violence in those movies, and I'm just kind of using this as an example because they're also Batman movies. I think you could say this about a lot of the Marvel movies too, or other action films. The deployment of violence in those films is generally quite careful. There is clearly violence in them. They're action movies, but it's done for a reason. Batman doesn't, he clearly sort of needs to get his anger out, but he doesn't kill gratuitously. It's all you know, done deliberately. And if you look at the Dark Knight in particular, which I haven't seen in a while, so I don't remember it as vividly, but a lot of the sort of violence is really an implicit threat as opposed to something that you're seeing play out in front of you. And the one moment that I think everyone remembers from that film, this really, really violent that the Joker does is the scene right at the beginning with the pencil. With the eye. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even need to set like, we all know know it. It has a huge amount of effect. Right. And then he like blows people up and stuff later, but he doesn't actually like punch people. Right. Like that's, that's enough that we kind of are afraid. And we know this movie, like people are just shooting people everywhere. They're punching people. There's a guy with like a flame, like Bunsen burner type thing. Like who's going to burn Martha Kent to death. Like it's just so much that it both loses its sort of potency and also just makes you feel or me at least, I can't speak for everyone else, feel really gross watching it. Just sort of like, why am I being made witness to this? What is this saying? What's the, what's the function? It really kind of upset me. I mean, if I can just like interject for a moment, like I kind of feel like this makes it sound like we're sort of anti-violence in movies being like a bit prudish, which like isn't the case. Like definitely no, my case, because like, when after I watched it, I was kind of thinking about the level of violence and how, you know, grossed out and upset I was. Also, it was like, it was very poorly shot. So the action sequences were a combination of violent and quite difficult to follow and not pleasant yeah. to watch. There's a lot of extremely violent movies that I've enjoyed a great deal. Like the most recent that I really got into was John Wick last year, which I would highly recommend. And this is just like, it's because you're going into a film which is clearly aimed at family viewing, despite being quite dark, like it feels really inappropriate. And the idea of the brand of Batman and Superman, both of them you're meant to be kind of looking up to, it just comes back to that again. And I also, I find it really interesting to compare to Daredevil which is obviously shares like a great deal with Batman. You know, it's about this like urban vigilante hero. Like it's very morally ambiguous and also kind of the adaptation on Netflix just now is very violent. But the show, for all its faults, has a much more nuanced view of the morality of being a vigilante. They really kind of dig into that topic quite deeply. Um, This season, you've got this comparison between Daredevil, who thinks of himself as like a morally good force and that he's fighting crime by like beating people up on an individual basis. And then you've got the Punisher who's just like, I'm going to murder criminals. 
it's interesting because like you really do get the impression that daredevil is a bit of a hypocrite because like he's not very effective like he doesn't actually take out a great deal of criminals and he spends a lot of time inefficiently beating people up so like you know he could just tase people he could have a stun bat on and then that would dispose of people far better than spending like 10 minutes kicking people in the head but like <laughs> but there's but there's a dual function of having those kicking scenes first of all people are watching the mo- the show because of the aesthetic satisfaction of watching martial arts and also because like it explicitly acknowledges that he's this really flawed character and maybe it's not good that he's being so violent and he could be doing this in a different way like he could be relying on his you know his friends who are lawyers who are also like having a huge impact on crime whereas in this film like you have all of those problems but with no examination and also there's no sign whatsoever that like either of them are really having that much of an impact superman barely does any actual saving and then Batman, apparently the crime wave in Gotham has been going on for 20 years. And at this point, it's sort of one of these things where like, he's just like repeating the same stupid mistakes over and over again. And also the, oh God, and also the issue with the branding, which was just like horrific. Oh my where he God. like, <laughs> he brands people with the bat symbol and then they get like assaulted and murdered in jail as punishment, which is like, it's just, it was so close to like Judge Dredd. It almost was Judge Dredd. And I, I mean, I love Judge Dredd, but it's not totally appropriate for this type of story like there was some tweet i retweeted today that was like like how do you explain to a kid that this movie isn't appropriate for them without sounding like an idiot right (laughs) like like it's just so laughable like (laughs) it just sounds so dumb and it's not and i think i think worse than dark knight Oh god, yeah, no, 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 by far worse than that. It's also like it's so funny to think of like Bond movies are more child friendly, right? Because Bond movies are literally they're about like a spy who's a murderer. He like fucks everyone. He's a drunk. He just runs around like an asshole like the whole time. I mean, like, and like, he's a psychopath. like yeah, uh, like, but like you can watch a Bond film at the age of ten and it's fine. Because you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, you don't get it. But like, this is just like relentlessly eye gouging horror. <laughs> oh, it's like Saw. It's like Saw for kids. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, like, honestly, the, the whole bat symbol thing and Jimmy Olsen being a CIA plant who gets shot in the head at point-blank range, those two things, I think, are the perfect example of if someone was like, can you please invent the most ridiculous, over-the-top example of a gritty DC Comics movie reboot? And then those, I would just offer those to you on a platter. <laughs> or maybe, like, a really, a really miserable personality-free Clark Kent fucking Lois Lane in a bath. But like oh with no God. emotion, and it was just like this is what is their relationship? Like what is this? It was so it's, cold. It's a symbolic <laughs> function. Poor Amy Adams, whom I really love, just does nothing in this movie except. And she was my plot she was my favorite thing in Man of Steel. Like I, you know, I think after after you watched Man of Steel, I was like, oh, my favorite part was Amy Adams, and you were like, you know, this is this is Stockholm Syndrome. Like <laughs> you're just looking for something good. But you know, her characterization in that, like for both films are not as sexist as a lot of comic book movies. Lois's role in Man of Steel is pretty good. Like, she has agency. She has more or less her own storyline. In this film, they really step back on that. Like, she and Martha Kent are, like, pure personality-free damsels in distress. Like, it's really... Yeah, I think there are a lot of... There are a lot of problems. And Wonder Woman, like, I liked her outfits. I thought she looked very cool. But, like, she... For no reason that's really explained, basically just walks around looking really sexy and like very classily sexy, but like because she has no personality development really, it's basically like we have one woman who like looks really hot and then 
wears her little Wonder Woman outfit, which is also very revealing. And then a couple of women who get captured a bunch and have to be saved. And that's that's it. Those are your women. And Holly Hunter. And Holly Hunter. That is true. Whom I also love. Who, spoiler, gets blown up quite early. <laughs> and it's also kind of like the moral conscience of the movie, right? Like she's saying, like, you know, we're going to we're going to do good good things here and then summarily gets dismissed quite quite quickly she's probably the you know she, the she's she's the best female character in the movie yeah. but like both of these films they're definitely less sexist than other i mean they don't measure up to the avengers and stuff where there are actually female characters who seem like people but like in the context of the film's general kind of lack of quality like i feel like it could have been a great deal more exploitative and Kind of regarding Wonder Woman, I actually feel sort of bad for that actress because the amount of scrutiny that's going to be put on her body and her outfits in those movies is just going to be unbelievable. Because, I mean, even I'm doing it. Like, I, I definitely already have, like, a lot of very judgmental feelings, both about, like, the appearance of her character in this film and in the next film, because the whole genesis of Wonder Woman is that she comes from this completely, like, matriarchal society that develops outside of the world of man that also kind of ties into beauty standards. And like, for obvious reasons, her appearance is absolutely archetypal, like beautiful, thin women with like no body hair, loads of makeup, really sleek hair and stuff. And it's just like, it would be, it would be so amazing if like this was kind of the first, <laughs> like the first movie franchise in the history of the planet where like they had a character who was this really beautiful woman who also had leg hair or something, you know, or like, oh, you know, that's or such a, a that's such a, naive dream oh no i mean i know i know it's a naive dream it's very foolish but it's just like it just makes it very obvious that it's kind of it's not looking at kind of the feminist background of that character no and also there's like a photo that was recently released from the new wonder woman movie where like you know it's four like thin white women who like very much look like models and it's like you need to have a wider variety of people's appearances because if you're going to try and market this to women it has to not share the same imagery as like images of women that are marketed to sell stuff to men. And sort of interestingly enough, the moment where Wonder Woman first appears as Wonder Woman was the only moment in my screening where people applauded. And this is a big movie theater in New York City where at a you know, superhero movie opening night, there's usually a lot of noise. And that was the one moment where people got really excited you know, pe- people want her. They want. Yeah, she's she's movie. new. Like, like it's something yeah. new. She seems cool. And then she didn't really get to do. I mean, she does stuff after that, but it's that that battle with the cave troll is so incoherent. Oh my god! So it's apart from apart from stupid. it just being. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible, and also like it's horrible to look at because there's so many shots where the whole screen is just filled with CGI lightning. And I'm I'm very much not one of these people who like dislike CGI. Like most of the blockbuster movies now have a huge amount of it, but the particular style the Zack Snyder's visual effects people employ is just really is I find it distasteful like the kind of yes, look I of think. it is just this ugly monster the whole screen is filled with blinding light in 3D it's even stranger because you've got different kind of light balances even aside from that the the point where like Superman sacrificed himself with the spear and so on it's just pointless because like the scene where Batman and Superman could have solved their dispute by just talking it just seemed like it made more sense for Lois to hand the spear to Wonder Woman so like, that is what it should have been. So there's this kryptonite spear. We should at the end of this movie, they're fighting this cave troll that uh, Lex Luthor has created for reasons that 
I mean, to defeat Superman, but comics fans, it's Doomsday. But yeah, yeah. it looks like a fucking cape troll. Yeah, but his real motivations are never. They don't really explain this. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, And uh, there's this kryptonite spear that Batman has created initially to destroy Superman, and then once again, some wonderful Jesus imagery. Just remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they're going to use it to uh, destroy this thing because it's made from Kryptonian material and can't be destroyed by anything on Earth, of course. Um, and so this battle just rages on and it's very, it's, I think, supposed to kind of evoke the battle at the end of the Avengers when all of the different characters are kind of working together to defeat the enemy. But again, it does the not is that, right, well, the problem is that we don't care about them. We haven't like, we haven't been invested in them. The film doesn't attempt to sort of distinguish that much between their fighting styles, which Whedon does really well at the end of the Avengers. There literally is even a moment where Superman like flies and flies into space and there's a nuke, which happens at the end of the Avengers. I mean, it's very, it's, I, I don't, I'm not trying to say he was trying to copy it, but I was thinking about it and just thinking this really doesn't work compared to that. And then the ultimate resolution is that Superman uh, sacrifices himself basically to defeat this thing. And I think this is why I really think that the critique saying like, we're supposed to view these people as bad don't really work because the ultimate sort of set piece of the film is them all working really hard together to defeat this thing. And then he sacrifices himself. And the last scene in the movie is this really sad funeral and he gets a military burial, which I found just totally disgusting. Like I have no connection to the military, but I found it really offensive that they were doing that. Um, And they're being presented really as heroes, but the film hasn't backed that up. And so if they were trying to do some kind of critique, which I absolutely do not believe they were trying to do, there's just no, it was just such failure on that, on that level. Um, and just not engaging filmmaking. It was just boring. Like I was just sitting there and I was like, just end this. Yeah. Like, I love, I love action sequences, but it was a bad action sequence. I, I should have explained more clearly, like the kind of the timeline is that the spear has been dropped in water. Then Lois tries to get out of the water again. And then Superman does it for her because, like, it's too difficult. Um, and then Superman flies off to stab the giant turd monster, Doomsday. That sequence of events, it's unnecessary because obviously, like, there's only one person here who is vulnerable to kryptonite, and it is Superman. So, like, Lois. Lois could have just handed that spear to Wonder Woman, who is right there, who is already actually closer to the monster. And also, she has, like, her lasso around like it part when it's body parts so like she could literally do that herself like it would be easier for her to do that than superman and there's no reason for them not to do that so they've engineered this scenario which is actually like yeah. very avoidable there are other ways they could have sacrificed superman you've got this kind of trifecta in the final um, battle scene because first of all you've got the point where like batman and superman could just resolve their differences by talking there that problem solved then that point like the dispute between batman and superman ends just before batman is about to murder superman in cold blood and he's about to stab him with this spear when superman like his whole point here is he's trying to save his mother martha kent so you know in his last breath he's like martha and then bruce stops because bruce's dead mother was also called martha martha wayne 
And he's like, why is Superman talking about my mother? This is ridiculous. No one in an emergency is referring to their own mother by her first name. So it's just like, it's really forced. Like I've heard stories of people just laughing in the cinema at this, like it doesn't gel and it really feels like something in the early stages of drafting a script. Someone's like, hey, they both have the same mother. Wouldn't that be an interesting way for them to bond when they stop being enemies? And it's like, in a way it would, if you subtly draw attention to that, like at some point during the film, it would be like a nice aside to prove that they're actually more similar than we think. But to have it in this pivotal scene where like Batman is like, my God, wow, it's almost like Superman has a mother just like me. So maybe I shouldn't murder him after all. It's cheap. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make sense emotionally in the context of the characters because he's already committed to murdering him. And then they're just like, okay, we're going to team up. But then the third part is then just Superman sacrificing himself unnecessarily. And then the final shot of the film is just... It's it's inevitable because like I was just sitting there for the last five minutes under my breath, just like, please let him be dead. Kill him forever. Let him die. And it's like, of course he's not going to. But the final shot is just like a bit of dirt, like moving slightly on the uh, on the coffin. And it's just like, wouldn't it be fantastic if they just left Superman dead? Oh, I was so I was good. also hoping against hope that that would happen. But this is, again, a, you know, a trope of these films is that they kill somebody off and then the person isn't really dead. I mean, we could list off characters to whom this has happened in almost every movie of this type that has come out in the last five to 10 years. I mean, it's unbelievable. How I mean, it's, it's, particular, it's particularly is. funny for this film because like, for example, like in, in, in Captain America Civil War, if they do what they do in the comics and they kill off Captain America played by Chris Evans, there'll be a huge pressure for them to bring him back because Chris Evans is enormously popular and Captain America is enormously popular. So yes. like, if they do that, they'll probably, you know, bring him back for one of the Infinity War Avengers movies. But like with this, you've got a movie which like systematically destroys any possible romantic ideal of Superman. And in the process, the character is played by this tremendously unlikable actor. I didn't particularly enjoy Man from Uncle, but he was okay in that. Like he was a bit wooden, but you know, he he was like reasonably funny and a lot of people found him charming. But I, I would challenge you to find anyone who watches this movie and thinks he makes an admirable Superman and like a likable, charming Clark Kent, because he's not. Like he's his performance is bad and like the way that he's been directed when he's playing Superman is just astonishing because he really only has like a range of like two or three facial expressions. And like one of them is this sneer where he clearly has like he, he has a sneer. I was of, like, just gonna hatred. say the sneer is the just sneer. So it's just bad. hatred and disrespect and kind of like disgust. He's aiming at villains. He's aiming it at Batman as well. And it's just this is the kind of thing that happens in other Superman adaptations when Superman's been hit by the red kryptonite and has become like an evil rage monster. And then afterwards he's like, my God, I've learned the error of my ways. I know actually what I really want to do is drink a milkshake. (laughs) It's just so odd. It's such a strange decision. And it doesn't like even if I try and imagine myself as someone who has like a real kind of tough masculine sort of anger fantasy of being like a powerful superhero (laughs) even then i don't think that's what i would want out of superman like it might be what i want out of batman but you already have him in the movie (laughs) so you don't need to make them both be like these angry like and in fact it works it works better if they're not right yeah of course you have a genuine conflict between them but them both being that way just they're fighting each other because that's what the title says they're going to do. So I guess it must happen. Yeah, I mean, there, like, was, okay. there, was, there was a fantastic sure. series of interviews, which we can link to in the show notes or on Tumblr or something, which is like, it's a series of interviews Vulture did with like just quick sound bites with like actors and celebrities asking them whether they were on Batman's side or Superman's side. And it was just <laughs> hilarious. 
because like no one cared or they were just like i don't understand like the purpose of this dispute and so and they had one the best one was definitely uh michael shannon who plays zod in the first movie and is just one of the true phoning it in performances of our recent lifetime Um, and in this poor bastard had to play just a floating corpse being kind of like pushed around by (laughs) jesse eisenberg but yeah like they asked him you know what do you think of the batman superman conflict and his like his answer was basically just like i do not care i couldn't care less doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah uh well i think that's about all that we have to say Right. So thanks for tuning into the first episode of Overinvested. For links to things we mentioned today, please check out our website, overinvestedpodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at overinvestedpod. Our Tumblr account is overinvestedpodcast.tumblr.com. We'll return next Monday for an episode about Richard Linklater movies, a topic that Morgan knows a great deal about, but I know virtually nothing at all. We'll be discussing Dazed and Confused, starring Matthew McConaughey, and the new movie Everybody Wants Some, which some of you may know as the serious film debut of Teen Wolf's Tyler Hecklin. Oh, and if you came here for comic book stuff, never fear. Uh, Episode 3 is going to be about my favourite Marvel Comics character, Black Panther, and we're definitely going to talk about the new Captain America and X-Men movies when they come out. In the meantime, if you like this episode, please share the link with your friends, and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes or whatever podcasting service you're currently using. (laughs) 